and welcome to Sparks and Honey's Daily Culture Briefing. My name is Danny Thibodeau, and today we will be discussing the metaverse and the intersection with the creative brief using Q, our cultural intelligence tool. Joining us today are my co-briefer, Hannah Jerome, Kevin Park, Jose Espinoza, and Gemma Wu. Uh, so our guiding question today for our briefing and our conversation that we'll be having is what unique challenges and opportunities does the metaverse pose to brands and their relationship with consumers? Hannah, why don't you pull up the Zykus map and talk us through some of the elements of culture that are really leading this conversation? Yes. So for context, especially for our guests, we put in keywords into our system, Q, Q tags those keywords to different types of data points in culture. So we have patents, we have startups, we have news articles. Those articles are then tagged to our taxonomy, our elements of culture. This element of culture, Zeitgeist Map, is an incredibly future-focused map and visualization we're looking at. But what we really wanted to do was hone in on three elements of culture in particular. So we have multi-sensory experiences, shoppable content, and work shift. So first, multi-sensory experiences. This is around technologists, you know, creating new ways to enhance virtual or augmented reality and to create, you know, a completely immersive experiences. Um, this can kind of span, you know, the possibilities in science and arts and entertainment and home and devices. And so, Kevin, I really wanted to start with you. Um, and, you know, you are a VR expert and we really want to know here, you know, what do brands kind of need to know in order to really create a useful, memorable, and kind of repeated consumer experience? I think that's really important. And I know this is like a heavy-hitted question, but, you know, just kind of like start us off. Start us off with something. Well, I think that brands really need to investigate and study on what works and what doesn't work for the last three, four years. Uh, and we noticed that... Uh, people in our industry tend to gravitate towards the immersiveness of it, right? But outside of our industry, still see this whole, you know, AR, VR experience uh, as a far away technology, even though they are fully engaged daily basis. So, for example, even in banking, uh, people have been using AR technology to deposit checks and whatnot. Uh, in automotive, uh, every time you reverse a gear, you have AR guiding you through. So, it is already embedded into our uh, 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 daily lives, but people just don't see that as uh, this uh, emerging tech. They just see that completely separate from what they do. Um, so I think brands should do uh, further investigating into, instead of thinking about future H2, H3, think about what is happening now and analyze it. How do we align that to uh, the consumer and then stick that to it? Yeah. Jose, can I ask you, um, you know, you've been building parts of your, and you're going to speak to this um, later in the briefing, but you've been building the metaverse um, for a bit. I'm wondering the last year, has there been kind of like a crux or when kind of the average person, not that like early tech adopter, has really started asking you, you know, those kind of questions. What is the metaverse? What is an NFT? Um, yeah, so I was trying to avoid it uh, because... Um, <laughs> Uh, I started in crypto in 2013, 2017, you had a surge. Now, last year was the NFT drop. 
and everybody's hyped about, we can make money selling JPEGs. Um, as it relates to the convergence of all these technologies, now you're seeing NFT and an image is cool, but what's next? And now you're looking back at all these technologies. You know, uh, one of my colleagues been in this space for over 20 years. To him, cyberspace is, is the metaverse. So what's really cool, though, is the adoption rate that's happening. Still a long way to go, but now you're looking at people with this NFT is one thing. Now how do I overlay this into reality, maybe at a gallery? Now you see a video pop up in some kind of virtual reality capacity. And now you have experiences that for brands, it's analytics on, on, on consumer data usage, but now consumers are playing a role of producers of that same content that they're consuming. That's a good transition because we're producing, but we're also buying and purchasing. And so our next trend here is shoppable content. This is looking at consumers, you know, seeking out solutions that embed shopping into the best of social media, live stream content experiences. You know, Instagram shop was kind of only the beginning here. Um, and so, Kevin, I'm wondering what innovations in digital shopping experiences are guiding kind of a change in, you know, kind of user behavior, you know, how we'll use use these different technologies? Well, I think, uh, like what Jose really tapped into a very important issue. Uh, if we think the metaverse becomes uh, the concept of Web3, at uh, some point the conversion will deviate each other at some point. It may not happen right now, maybe five years from now. At some point, the Internet itself can be part of it, and the metaverse itself can rebrand uh, itself to be more virtual or augmented solution only, right? Because combining all together could be problematic at the end because it's just too big a you know, thing to uh, discuss. And even nowadays, like you said, you know, this already happens very quickly. Uh, a lot of people don't even want to say the word metaverse anymore, right? It just becomes too trendy. So they start using M-word instead. So we're going to see this, like, you know, pushback from each other. Uh, consumers start noticing that. But I think there's, a, uh, 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 like, a meta or Amazon going backward and opening up, you know, like, real-life stores, right? They need to somehow find a way to connect each other. I think uh, uh, from a consumer point of view, uh, using like an AR will increase their shopping experience. Uh, I think we have forgotten like a chat bot or other, the type of intellect technologies uh, based on voice technology could be the bigger deal we haven't noticed yet. Uh, so there's a concept called uh, human intellect processing. Uh, the whole concept came like in the 1960s and uh, when uh, we speak each other, there could be the machine that help us guide it through the conversation, authenticate the process or references and et cetera. I think those things were embedded into, like for example, with my daughter is uh, uh, 15, sorry, she just turned 15. She loves to go to uh, 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 Sephora. And when she starts you know, selecting items, she still does exactly what her mom did. 30 years ago, 20 years ago, right? Just looking at the product and assume this is what it is. To find the system is almost impossible. There's a handful of people, right? So perhaps there's a, another argumentative solution. We're not talking about, you know, my daughter holding phone to doing this, but could be the uh, more in-person experience through the machine learning or big data to know uh, 
and you know Gen Z and Gen Alpha already have no barrier to opening up their own personal information anyway, right? So, so as soon as I enter the shop, why should I uh, expect what my mother did, right? I should be in more fully engagement strategy there. So. And that education component is definitely missing right now yeah. in the conversation. Yeah. Our last trend here is work shift. So this is, you know, we've had this trend in our taxonomy for a really long time, um, but it's changed as culture has changed. And so right now, employees are recentering their lives away from their jobs. It's led to a global um, great resignation, demand for better corporate wellness solutions, from remote options to new services. And the new services part, I think, is really where the metaverse fits in here. Jose, I'm wondering, you know, new economies are sprouting from blockchain technology, specifically in crypto. Um, and in some cases, work has been redefined through, you know, paying people to game or QA new tech. Can you speak a little bit about this change? Uh, yeah, this is, uh, I think for me, it's the most exciting of all Web3 and everything that we're talking about. The fact that you get to say, New economies are sprouting from blockchain technology. When have you ever heard that in our lifetimes or in our history? So for me, it's very important for people to recognize the opportunity in front of us to democratize uh, economies at scale through communities. And that's what this blockchain metaverse allows us to do. Um, play to earn is what you're seeing all over right now. Right, that's the the gamers of yesterday are gonna, you know, are some of them are millionaires now just based off of gaming. Um, there's projects around learn to earn, so and these provide incentives for people to adopt maybe better habits or cultures wherever a community decides that to be. Uh, again, for for the work that I do with my Latino community, this has completely leveled the playing field across industries because before it was major brands dictated what things were and now because of web 3 and open source people can now like the, the imagination can can be a tangible fact and people can now create you know for, for me one of the things that I'm big on in educating uh, Latinos in cryptocurrency it's this is the most significant asset to pull people out of poverty ever so I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that this idea of decentralization or democratization is already happened. And I think the younger generation, my daughter, or like, you know, let's say, uh, who was born much later than that, would not see the brand the same way. We grew up with a brand telling us what's good or bad, and we make those choices based on what's in front of us. Uh, like what Jose is doing from his lab, I think this will really push the content creator or art, artist or architect to become their own entity where the brand has to forcefully uh, work with them regardless. Yeah, when we're going to get into that. Last here with our trends. Gemma, you know, pretend we're sitting here a year from now. Um, what do you anticipate would be a budding area that, you know, we should at least pay attention to right now? Um, that could have kind of had big implications in our short-term future. Yeah, I would like to say from WorkShape standpoint, I was reading an article about Accenture. They are putting like a lot of their employees on the metaverse, and probably that's like one of the future. And rumor is true in Sparks and Honey as well that we are experimenting. We're buying a lot of VR headset 
to work in the metaverse. And I would like to say that WorkSafe is definitely a trend. And another trend is like entertainment, arts, and fashion. And we're going to tell, talk more about that later on. And so I'm going to pass it back to Danny. Yes, so we're finally getting into our signals, which is super exciting. And we've already kind of talked on some of the issues or topics that are raised within this article here about uh, what brands are getting wrong about the metaverse. So this is an opinion piece that's really talking about how everyone has a bit of a different definition of what the metaverse really is. Web3, metaverse, NFTs, blockchains, wallets. These are just some of the buzzwords that are out there uh, right now. And so let's talk about a few of these. Uh, crypto wallets are typically used to store your public or private keys for cryptocurrency transactions. However, soon your wallet will also be the primary mechanism to provide proof of ownership for both digital and physical possessions. Um, this is something that I've personally experienced. My apartment now requires an app to, to get into my, to my front door. Um, so smart NFTs are also another thing here. They're programmable and can be instructed to do things. Um, they hold rewards that can be unlocked when collected. So think about a really cool smart coupon. Uh, virtual spaces, almost all brands today are doing this by renting virtual land and third-party properties like Decentraland and Roblox. So a question for you, Jose, since we were talking about this before we hopped on this briefing today, is we're being told there's a revolution, yet we all seemingly, all we seemingly see are brands building experiences in virtual worlds like Decentraland that are pretty lackluster, if you will, um, or watching digital pictures of apes with hats sell for millions of dollars. So what's the What's the underlying brand behavior here? What should we really be paying attention to? Uh, so great question. Um, I love the prompt. Right now, to your point, lackluster experiences. What you're seeing here is Web 2 trying to enter into Web 3 with the principles of Web 2, which is I'm a brand because I'm big. This is the experience that I want to put you in versus the community, the participants now you know, you're seeing the shift towards the builders of these places. Like, no, nah, that's not what we're subscribing to. And that's where the lackluster experience comes in. Um, what, sh what we should be focused on or brands should be focused on, again, I I'm going to, you know, probably going to live and die off of this, is community. The communities in Discord, the communities in real life, uh, the power of Web3 right now is based off of the communities because of the decentralization, democratization, um, you need, to follow, you need to be participating as a brand because there's no longer the days of dictating what is, what is the trend. So that's what, what those are the underlying uh, signals that should be being followed um, and looking at, at the creators as collaborators. The consumer-producer aspect is no longer. That's a great point. And so, Kevin, to add on to that, which approaches are short-sighted by brands? You know, you're an expert in UX. Uh, so which innovations should we be paying attention to? Should brands be paying attention to as the need for a marketing department to talk with their, their technology and UX mm -hmm. departments evolves? I, we discussed this briefly uh, before the, uh, this event, but uh, I think 
we have to look at the brand uh, perception a little differently. To enter the metaverse at this moment is very inexpensive. Just, just bluntly say it. Like a, the conventional model out there is very expensive. The whole media channel and that is, is already a fixed model that move around that is very expensive. But in metaverse, it's very unknown. So that means uh, just jumping into the cold water, I personally think, why not? Like we had this discussion before, by the way. We tend to ask a question of, of uh, why, right? Like we want to know before we get into it. But like you guys came to our lab, uh, you just have to try, right? I think brand really has to think about the idea of a vulnerability, right? Uh, especially in like what Jose was saying in the, in the era of the Web3 or like this idea of decentralization, it can be very scary for the brand. Like a Coca-Cola, what am I doing here? Like a, uh, when the Gucci or let's say Nike went into the uh, roadblock and op- I, I'm assuming you guys went there, uh, opened their uh, shops and whatnot, uh, it's very vulnerable. But bigger question is why not? Like, why can't we try that and then learn from it and then continue to try until you figure it out? So instead of uh, going to the Medicine Avenue, obviously you guys are part of it, to figure this out before you get into the, uh, uh, the metaverse or like a Web3, I think in, uh, as a technologist and the UX, we, we want to see if you can try it and tell us what is not working or working for you guys. Uh, like I said before, the conventional like AR and VR, it's been around for a long time. I mean, we talked about this. The VR has been around almost 70 plus years. Okay? And then we can easily go back to you know, mid-1800 to see how this whole technology came from. Concept of AR been around thousands of years, you know, from the, you know, like a shadow to, you know, cave painting. These are all part of an augmented solution on top of something. So it's not something new. It's just this advancement of the technology is too fast at this moment, too grand to catch up. So instead of trying to internalize it, I think uh, it's a really good idea to externalize it and relying on like, experts like you guys or like a smaller shop or lab like you guys to try it out and then see what these new people will do about our brand and then become a vulnerable and then figure it out later. I think... Uh, I, only way to survive at this moment. Yeah. Only reason I'm saying this is Sephora spent a lot of money, you know, like a uh, Revlon and all these big name brand. These cosmetic companies went into the filtering system, and all that, you know, like a, they have this whole thing every shop. No one's using it except me, because <laughs> I was waiting for my daughter to buy lipstick and whatnot, and I was the only one trying this, and everyone is like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> well, I make these type of things, but yeah. why not using this? Yeah. But you learn from what people's behavior with the technology, then you can readapt that to it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that's a really great point. And as we were talking earlier, I was saying that we had a, a conversation with a retail client last week who was asking, should we join Roblox? And I was like, why would you join Roblox? <laughs> this is not the, the time yet for you to get into the metaverse space. You should definitely be there. Every brand should be there because... We are going there whether you like it or not, but it's what is the right application of that. Uh, so let's move on to our next signal. Uh, oh, it's already up there. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. And we're, we're going to be continuing the conversation here about marketing in the metaverse, uh, really having it be an opportunity for innovation and experimentation. So great segue, uh, Kevin. 
this signal specifically talks about technological challenges must still be overcome for metaverse experiences to be completely mainstream. For example, as a result of technological constraints, both Meta's Horizon Worlds and the Sandbox cap the number of participants for each session, but constant improvements in computing power allow for virtual worlds to exist. And cloud and edge computing let intensive large data processes such as graphics rendering move off of local devices and the rapid adoption of 5G is enabling mobile devices to access these large worlds more easily and with lower latency. Plus, like you were saying, Kevin, the cost of production uh, for augmented and virtual reality hardware is declining, so why not, right? Um, and, you know, a great example of this is that Meta shipped 10 million Oculus Quest 2 headsets in 2021, and new devices like haptic gloves and bodysuits are coming on the market more frequently as well. And we just heard from the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference <laughs> that we should be expecting a, a new headset from them. So, Kevin, can you talk us through a bit of the UX hurdles with regards to the future of immersiveness? Uh, sure. So I think that we need to start redefining the idea of immersiveness, right? Uh, we, we're still thinking about immersiveness as like a headset oriented, like a, a Snapdragon or like those guys at uh, Qualcomm building the system to, uh, I don't know what's the best way. He, the CEO said differently, but uh, it's not the heavy on the headset itself, but it's all interconnected model. Because... Thinking about like uh, spending hours in the metaverse is just uh, unrealistic at this moment. We don't have equipment to handle that, and our our human form factor is not fit into that at this moment, right? So, if the technology will advance further, maybe three years from now and whatnot, where we can start relying on other device to handle like computing power or, you know, computer vision and all that is done from other sources and then bring it to uh, in front of us one way or another. It could be a headset or a phone or whatnot. Uh, I think users will eventually enjoy that better. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but uh, when you guys came to the lab, you were expecting, what am I supposed to do? Or like you, you put on and... Why am I here? Like, what is the purpose of this, right? The big question of the why will come back from the user, and then we just have to, you know, keen on to it. Like, why not this way or that? You keep on trying and then figure it out that way. Uh, yeah. Thank you. So for a question to the panel, how can brands go just beyond thinking about the right platform fit? I would like to chime in on this question. <laughs> Because, yeah, like Danny said, our client was asking, like, which platform we're supposed to get in. But actually, the easiest way is to, such as uh, OVMH or other big, like, consumer brands. They already have, like, a lot of resources. And there are a lot of, like, creators out there that they don't have enough. It's either, like, money, they don't have the access to the metaverse. But with this kind of collaboration... One, they can bring on the creator to sponsor them. And they have so many, like, creative and crazy ideas about Metaverse that can be actualized by this kind of sponsorship. And at the same time, like, those bigger brands can get access to millions of, like, great ideas. And that's just one of the great ways of entering into the Metaverse 
for both sides. If I could chime in, um, which platform is the best fit? Again, it goes back to what I've been uh, spewing and excited about. A brand can pick whatever the fad is, and an individual that understands the space can create their own. So, for example, and this is uh, a selfless plug for we're throwing an event uh, just ahead of NFT NYC called Sasong. So it's uh, celebrating land culture in Web3. You're coming into our lab at Brand Experience in Jersey City, and you've got digital signage and beautiful panels where people can see NFTs of Latino-founded and women-founded projects. We've got an AR collaboration, so you'll have an enhanced experience. We're doing projection mapping. Um, and we're creating our own Sazon world. I've got Abuela's Kitchen. I got La Bodega. I got 1950s Cuba. So when you ask about what's the right platform, you know, throw out a brand. What's, what's the brand? Cool. What's the demographic? Okay, where do they sit and play in? Curate something small that they can grow from that because you have that brand loyalty. Or you go into the Roblox because your demographic is under 18. I'll leave that there. Yeah. No, that's great. And at the end of this, we should definitely add in a link for people to find out more information about your event as well. That sounds awesome. awesome. Thank you very much. I'm going to pass it on to Hannah to talk about our next signal. Yes. So we're going to talk about sound here and kind of the sensorial experience. Um, so sonic strategy, the sounds that a brand uses in its marketing <laughs> and um framework is an important factor when considering, you know, how you can kind of connect a brand's virtual presence to their existing brand and physical presence. So online brands can use, you know, relatively uncharted space as a chance to elevate, you know, kind of their own experience. Um, however, we're at an interesting time because if we think of music and musicians and artists, you know, we've already kind of seen the big names, you know, kind of enter the metaverse, do their own concerts. But one thing people are saying that's been really um, successful is the exclusivity of I can only listen to Ariana Grande's music in the metaverse. Um, that has been something people have really enjoyed. Um, Gemma, I want to throw this back to you. You know, have you seen any really successful brand activations as it relates to sound? So I feel like there's like two points that we can touch on. One is about like how brands are representing themselves, like in terms of like sound, like their bright brand identity in the metaverse. And the other part, it's more about how we can like monetize the audios. Like, I was reading in this article that the Japanese voice tech startup called Doki Doki, and they have this platform called Cubaming. And it basically, it's like another alternative metaverse compares to, like, Horizon by Facebook or Roblox. It's more about online. It's, you can access it through a browser. But on Cubaming, you can access their metaverse. It's a pure audio metaverse just through your earbuds. And that, and from there, we can talk about the problem of, of like accessibility. What about some users who have visual impairment that won't be able to get access to Horizon? Like, what can it do? So, Cubaman is an option. So, I think that's like a successful brand story. And the user on this platform can also like mint their audios and own the audio as an NFT asset and the other form of digital asset. So, that's like a great platform I think we can explore on. 
Cool. So I love that. We have two activations that are going to kind of close out this briefing, one in the fashion space and one in the augmented reality space. Um, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. About the sound system. I think uh, the sound as a music is one thing. I mean, you know, concert and all that is happening already, but sound as an auditorial experience in, like, especially in VR, is extremely important factor of the technology advancement that we have to always keen on and then learn about that. Because with the, this directional spatial audio, you really can control people's behavior very radically. And would you say there are brands that are doing this really well right now or well, just I kind think, of in general? Right. I think there are a lot of musicians trying that also. Like yeah. a, the, the company like Magic Leap, the initial launch of the, uh, like a, there was almost four years that they actually hired a musician to create the experience following the sound to interact. Right? So instead of a conventional uh, interface model, there's a button and et cetera, you actually follow the sound to go through different spaces and whatnot. Uh, it really changed the people's behavior very differently. And the, the whole experience really enhanced the uh, idea of what it could be the metaverse or overall VR experience altogether. And that brings up a good point that I'm sure there's a lot of research, like, you know, things that are happening um, that we'll know in, you know, in the future kind of how all the sound impacts. But we're also so early in the stage that people are just kind of figuring it out now. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, our next single actually does um, include sound. So this is... Marnie, the designer brand Marnie, they entered the digital space with this where we are. Um, and the where we are is, you know, presenting their kind of 360 runway looks um, through a digital experience. And they partnered with decentralized digital design um, studio, Future Corp. So I'm actually going to go straight, hopefully this works, straight to the, um, to the, um, to this runway and Oh, here we go. So we don't have sound, but you can kind of see <laughs> what this runway experience looks like. So with that, I actually wanted to pass this to one of our fashion experts, Jackie, and I wanted to know, does something like this right now, like the 360 look, does that do anything for you as, you know, a shopper? A lot of me feel like style opens up things. Um, it feels like an aesthetic, and yeah, it's a 360, but at the end of the day, if it's still selling real life physical clothing, you're not getting as good of idea of what you would be buying as if you would be just looking at a high-res photograph of it, it. Um, in 360. So it looks cool, and it's you know gets them buzz about participating in the metaverse. But it it all ties back to like how much use is it delivering? Well, I think that's also important because that idea buzz. I'm, I'm sorry to. No, you're good. Uh, I, I mean, the idea of buzz or like initiating the process is important. I mean, that's why I was saying like a why not process. But yeah. uh, a couple of months ago, we actually at, at the Hive, we invited 14 uh, graduate students from FIT to come to the Hive 
for a period of five weeks to um, study or investigate or experience their uh, thesis project in virtual space. Because, you know, the creating a garment or, you know, conventional uh, dresses, uh, it takes uh, physical time, space, and all that. Like, you're limited by it, right? So once they, they're not, they're not trained to do this, but they want to start understand how to do such things and then manipulate the content or like uh, uh, expanding beyond the physical space, they start seeing things differently. Uh, from our experience, uh, the retention was much higher, conversion was extremely uh, satisfying, but at the same time, their perception completely changed from this physical garment to what this can be as a functional aspect and whatnot, that actually enhanced the overall experience of fashion. Uh, I mean, it's a good idea to start at some point, but maybe next year, uh, I guess a gentleman named Mani can go into more interactive and true uh, immersiveness of a, a metaverse that way. So I just want to follow up on that. So what it sounded like is you're distracted by everything else except the product with the aesthetic of the rest of the metaverse. Like, their intention is to show their collection. And now you have this whole world in which they're inserting that, that garment. So at our lab, we've, we've helped curate fashion, digital fashion shows where there's no body. And it is a garment flowing, mm. so you're only focused on the product. Mm. Now, we have that, and then we have build your own avatar. What would I look like with this before I even go to the, the store and look in the mirror? And those are that's where we talk about either disconnect or understanding how to make it easier for somebody to enter in that mm -hmm. space. So that's, yeah. that was really cool. I, I saw this uh, not so long ago, and when I saw, like, you know, it was a runway show and just assumed the dresses or the garments were walking through, and as they turned, you saw everything, and the focus was on the product. Yeah. Yeah. To add on your point, and I have a fashion background, so I thought like this experience is so great in terms of like sustainability because everyone knows like runway style does not go with mass market and ready to wear for fashion brands. And when they produce like a lot of garment for fabrics and like out of fabric for runway show, it ends up being in museum or on sales. So if it's like everything's virtual without the constraints of like textile production. And a lot of time that your team putting to actually making the actual garment, and the design team and the brand have like so much possibility, like lying out there for like what kind of style they can choose, and like what colors and shapes, and there's the possibility it's like limitless, and we also like engage like with consumers from like very, uh, it just like breaks the gap between consumer because. Fashion show has its like, history of being extremely privileged and then can be accessed by the media, but only like a part of media can have like take picture of that and then we can access it like in 2000s and um, like on Vogue's website. But now actually the audience can be part of a fashion show and that can encourage them to become like an act actually like authentic followers of the brands and increase the brand loyalty from that kind of mm -hmm. perspective, too. But I think that's also very important that, uh, just imagine you're the, or in the Parsons or, you know, FIT, whatever, and uh, we're, want to be a famous fashion designer, but what are the chances, right? And then suddenly you cannot have a runway show of your own, but in the space like what we are discussing, 
that's another way of decentralizing the whole thing. And also, uh, nowadays, fashion designers, just they don't just build things with a physical garment. They actually started from Rhino, other uh, platform where they actually build things in virtually anyway. So asset is already there. So the bigger question is why you stop from there? Why can't you go further with what you already built? And then once we have a platform is ready to uh, help you to develop, uh, and I think also the great news is uh, in at this moment, because they need a content, they need a creation, they need a des- designers, Everything is free in a way, like mm-hmm. from Sandbox, Roblox, to pretty much every single thing we're discussing at this moment. You don't need to have a you know, big investment to do this. You just individual can jump in and then start building their own thing and then let it be out there. And I think this is where either fashion houses or it could be a Gucci or whatever, they can start aligning their brand to individual. It's, I think it's very different than how Web 2.0 uh, pushing the influences it will change its individuality, will somehow the, uh, change the whole landscape eventually because of the access issues. So we have one final signal here. Um, it's a bit on the fringe, but I'm really interested in everyone's thoughts. So this is a metaverse company that is offering immortality through live forever mode. So Somnium Space is developing a way for people to talk to their loved ones after they die. Um, All it requires is massive amounts of personal data. So this this idea was inspired by the death of the founder's father um, and served as inspiration that would, you know, be called the Live Forever Mode, a feature that allows people to have their movements and conversation conversations stored as data and then duplicated as an avatar that moves, talks, and sounds just like you. So essentially, you know, you have all these data points on all of those kind of three features, and then all of a sudden you have that person um, who lives forever. We've seen similar things, I think, with um, concerts, and I know on um, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, um, Kim was able to, like, re-see or re-talk to her father. Um, I'm curious, you know... There's so much, you know, kind of questions out there with what this kind of future of the Internet looks like. Um, Is there a threshold framework for, you know, what should be possible? Like, how do we start thinking about this? You know, these are really kind of out there ideas. How should brands? And how should brands brands think about it as well? I think the bigger question is the idea of regulation, right? So in European countries, they start pushing like a what brand can do with individual uh, information, et cetera. And they're moving faster than us, uh, but it will be slower. So it will, the responsibility will come down to the brand and their ownership of, like, what should we do, what can we do? Uh, as an example, um, a couple of years ago, the mother, in South Korea's mother lost her child, and, and, and then, you know, somehow they have a conversation, and they re- decided to recreate her uh, daughter, right? And then, because as a mother, when you lost her, they want to just see her, right, at least once, and they did it, uh, and it's a data point, right? So it will be there forever. So if, she, you know, I don't want to go, you know, into the point where uh, in physical space, we're talking about CRISPR and technology. In virtual space... I don't think we need a big data to do this. 
it's, it's almost like you mentioned with the avatar or you know using uh, current like a blockchain with the NFT, you could easily make your own you know persona out there, multiple personas and interact with each other. In our lab, we start testing like a let uh, Alexa to Alexa, they talk to each other. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, but Alexa to Google Home doesn't talk because they notice each other, right? So at some point, this type of a uh, symbiotic relationship of a human versus, you know, with a machine, um, it will happen. I mean, that's kind of a, I, I think, personally, I think that's the ultimate goal for us. Like, at some point, this whole uh, buzz or, you know, hype of Web3 will die out because we, this is a process, as we're talking about, to get to the Web4, which is more like this relationship with the machine itself. And, uh, this younger generation would not see the reality in the virtual space. They're not going to care much, right? I, I think there was a, uh, one of the footage out there, the, uh, the Keanu Reeves talking about the, his movie to young kid, and then he was explaining, you know, Matrix is about, like, you know, virtual space and, you know, human beings trying to fight each other, and then the young child's answer was, why care? You know, like this idea of virtual or reality it's no longer matters anymore, right? Yeah. Jose, you were going to say something. Yeah, hot take time. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'm more woo than most. Um, I'm very in tune with my spirituality. Uh, a live forever mode, my, my immediate reaction is, what for? Um, we've survived all this time without it. That's number one. Number two, in terms of uses in it, entertainment, commercialization, I'm totally with that. I don't need to have that going on um, beyond me. And, and I don't think, if it's not going to be something toward the collective ascension of, of enhancing our way of individuality, what, what are we getting out of it? Uh, but what's in an interest of use cases and brands, um, I don't know if you guys seen like the Warhol documentary. It uses AI to have his voice read his diary. That's cool. Um, bringing on different aspects of uh, celebrity history into uh, product placement. I'm with that. Uh, as far as me living forever for my kids to be able to talk to me, I don't know about that. Maybe just like a voice note of something wild that I'd say if they messed up. But outside of that, we, we, I don't need to have uh, my life in perpetuity mimicking in, in a place beyond me. I agree. It sparks a lot of like ethical and philosophical discussion around that topics. And I agree with you. It's more for like memory preservation. And it could be a new way to process griefs and think about innovation, like therapy in that. I'm not, I'm not worried, but I can't help but as an, a cultural observer, recognize that there's going to be a band of people that are going to be all for this. <laughs> That's just going to be a community of its own. Uh, we've got Aaron with a hand up. Yeah, I just wanted to, to plug one thing here. Uh, one of the comments that we got, <clears throat> excuse me, in the LinkedIn chat was talking about where regulation and government regulation is kind of around the metaverse and Web3. I wonder if we could get a quick take from our, from yes, our guests. Yes, absolutely. We actually had a signal that we cut from the briefing today <laughs> specifically about this because it is a hot topic on the floor of the House of Representatives right now. And it's something that is 
far behind the technology, we're never going to be able to fully predict the future and create laws and regulations. However, they are working to play catch up around that right now because there are a lot of issues in terms of age requirements for access to different types of information. What can be tracked? What can you share? Um, what do businesses have access to? So that's something that we are definitely tracking right now and, and the legal field as well as the government, as slow as it sometimes may seem, um, is, is looking very closely at right now. Uh, so our final question or wrap up for everyone in a tweet, very quickly, uh, what is one thing that you would tell brands to keep in mind when they're considering an AR, VR activation or product? Kevin, we'll start with you. So I actually wrote about this a little bit. Uh, I think a brand really has to realign uh, and think about what is immersiveness, right? And uh, if we're thinking about idea of Web3 or Metaverse become one of those cases where people will spend a lot of time, like right now, with the mobile, we know the trend is extreme cases, right? Once you hit this uh, personalization happens, um, I mean, in our class, we talked about this before. In Web2, we already went through from mobile to the desktop, the idea of personalization really hit the brand very core, and they start realigning, and then, you know, how to monetize it, how to reconfigure, or how to align this, right? It already happened in Metaverse. It's going to be hyperspeed, right? Nobody wants to see the Coca-Cola in front of them unless it's relate to what I need to do. In this uh, new era, adding the, we start with the why not, but at some point we have to ask a bigger question, the purpose of what they're doing in there, right? Uh, I'm hoping that you guys went through the like Roblox or other places and studied further. I would say 90% of people were just wandering around. Nothing wrong with it. You see people doing the same thing in the Grand Central, nothing wrong. But in Metaverse, at this moment, they don't know what to do. So giving them some type of purpose will be a critical thing. And then uh, for brand to figure that out, right, is going to be extremely important aspects they have to realign. Yeah. yeah, immersiveness, definitely, and the purpose. Jose, from you really quickly. Two, uh, two things, very simple. Number one is brands have to give up dictatorial control and meet consumers where they are and embrace the shared collaboration of the ecosystem that is now, if they want to survive in there, because you get shunned very quickly um, if you're in these spaces, if you're following the old guard. We tell you how to experience versus you being a part of it. And number two, um, you're talking about AR, VR activations. Come to Sasong next week. We're going to have all of that going on, if you guys want to learn. In the comments. <laughs> All right, Gemma, quickly. So I have a few bullet points. One is to remember to build a healthy and safe community in the metaverse and think about accessibility. How can they get more users into the metaverse? It's not about just gaming and visual. And remember that audio is a new identity in metaverse as well. Now we think about Alexa and HBO sound, Netflix, like boom, boom. And podcasts 
to like to host some podcasting metaverse could be an easy entry point for brand as well, right? Like a normal brand can buy a few VR acts like their headsets and then get into metaverse and talk about their brands and in- engage with their followers and consumers. I think that's and another great point is to do collaboration with influencer and celebrity. Yeah, and that's my advice. Thank you so much, everyone, today for such a fascinating conversation. I wish we had more time, but we do not. So uh, if you are curious to learn more about Q, our cultural intelligence tool, um, please drop us a note on LinkedIn and join us on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays at noon Eastern. Uh, That's it for now. So consider yourselves briefed. Thank you.